Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Truth and Justice. Thank you for tuning in this week as you are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 19, Corey Donovan's Interview. We had a lot to go through this week, and I have my thoughts. I know Janet does as well. And of course, we're going to hear from Bob. So right after this quick break, we're going to get into all your listener questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right. Uh, we are ready to start this week's Friday file. This is kind of, hopefully this goes this goes well. This is uh, one of our rare evening recordings. Janet's a big, big famous movie star and has to do big famous movie star things on Wednesday morning when we usually record. So record the evening. We've been yammering on for an hour and a half already. There's a lot more people in the YouTube live, which is fun. Uh, so I need to try to we're trying to shift gears and get into talking about the case. So what I want to do is I know that both of you have notes, and I know you have a nagging list, Janet, which I think will late wait towards the end. Sounds good. But real quick, but but here at the top, I'll start with Zach. Zach, what are your thoughts on the interview after listening to Corey Donovan's interview? There is a lot of discrepancies. I mean, there's there's a lot going on here. It's it's. It's crazy to hear because he says so many things and he repeats a few things that we hear throughout kind of this case. You know, at one point he says that Javi tells him, I love that girl. I'd do anything for her. I don't want to see her get hurt. You know, we've heard that before. I think that was a little strange because I don't feel like that's his dialogue. I feel like that came from Javi. And and as we now know, Javi had made his way there first. So there's some stuff going on there. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean... There's a lot in this interview where he talked to the Alan Gerber friend where we talk about hearing about the uh-huh. fire Monday morning. I mean, I feel like that was kind of strange because he says he calls Javi and Javi appears to know about the fire, but doesn't know about the body. 
but that doesn't seem to align with some of the other things we seem to know. Yeah. Also, real. For, I'll just let you know as I've been I've been buried in the case file uh, this week because um, our our producer editor Kelly has is going to be on assignment later this week, so we had to kind of shift the schedule up a little bit to to accommodate that. But so like early in this, I've been buried in interviews over the last three days, like working fourteen hours a day reading interview transcripts and looking for files and trying to piece all this stuff together and. I was pretty shocked to find out that the police never interview Alan Gerber, who was supposedly the source of all this information, never talked to him. And he talks about Alan Gerber several times throughout this interview. Right. So that's that's kind of crazy to hear that he doesn't talk to him at all. And I think my biggest takeaway, and I kind of said this in the pre-show, but Janet didn't hear this, is I kind of believe now that Becky was the target. I think that's mm. where I'm leaning now. I, I What makes you say that? Because everything kind of keeps going back to Javier in that that trip up the mountain where he says that he was just he was just up the mountain and everybody else says he was going up to see Becky and Becky didn't want him to come. So if Becky doesn't want him to come, there's a reason someone else is up there, whether it has anything to do with Javier or not, or if that story is made up, what's what's the convenience of that story being made up to me? It all leads back to Becky. So I, I'm going to break down some things in a few a few minutes of kind of where I'm at right now, as far as where we're at on the podcast right now. Um, but you know, I've I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I really think Vicky or John were the target. But I would also I, I wouldn't go as far as say I think Becky's the target right now. But I definitely something stinks really bad to me with this group. There are not just inconsistencies there are convenient inconsistencies there are intentional omissions there are what seem to be intentional lies and i'm having a hard, like i'm having a hard time in my brain if i'm being completely honest imagining any teenager being involved in this or young adult just being involved in over some kind of drama but it's like what the hell are they all hiding they're hiding in my opinion they're hiding something there's a there's a big big elephant in the room that nobody's talking yes. about. And I don't know what that is, but it's seen, but it, it's, it's really the only way that I could see some young adults, teenagers being involved in this is really if they were just actual, just complete sociopaths. You know, if somebody, I don't, I don't think a mentally healthy, I don't even know what the right word I'm looking for is, but just, I, I don't want to say normal, but a, you know, just a, just a normal teenager, you know, the, that has a, is, has a healthy emotional life and mental, I, I'm stumbling over my word because I'm, I, as you know, I'm always afraid to say the wrong one. Um, but you get what I'm saying. I mm-hmm. can't see any of them over this drama. I guess what I'm saying is there's nothing that I, nothing makes, I can't make it make sense. I can't make it make sense for Jacob just to kill his girlfriend because she broke up with him and their whole family. I can't make it make sure. sense that. Robert would have went and killed his ex-girlfriend because of whatever re- they're trying to get back together or because of a pregnancy way back. Like like this whole family annihilation thing. Like I, I can't make or, or because or or Javier because you know he wanted more out of the relationship than there was. Like I, I can't see any of that. The only way that I could see, and I want to circle back and talk to Jim Clemente about this too, because he because you know, because he leaned towards Becky being the target. The only way that I could see that would be is if someone is like has a severe personality disorder, like uh-huh. a sociopath, a psychopath, somebody who just like 
gets a thrill out of hurting people and things like that. That's the only way that I could see. And I don't know that we have that in any of these teenagers, but man, it's sure there, there are sure some issues and something stinks here. Yeah. I mean, Javier, yeah. the whole, the whole idea of Javier being there and that we now know Javier's there during the interview, Corey says, Oh, Javier's here. That's why that's how the last time I talked to him, he's here right now. And then the officer oh, says, yeah. you, did, were you going to tell me that he was here? And he's like, Oh, I thought you knew. But we know that he's hiding in the closet because they were in his room. Why the hell are you hiding in the closet if you have nothing to hide? Well, there was a question about that, uh, how, that where the information about hiding in the closet came from, because I think people weren't sure they were hearing that in the Corey interview. Do you know, where'd that come from? Yeah, so I want to clear, clear something with that and something else, too. So the, I don't know if you want to name the person, whoever it was that asked the question. I know a lot of people asked it, but. So I had read somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was trial transcript or in a case, but, but somewhere through the case file, I had read that Javier was hiding in a closet during an interview. So somebody wrote that, and I haven't, fa- I haven't come across it again, but I'm still looking for it. But, but someone had wrote into a summary report that Javier was hiding in a closet during this interview. What I know is the part of the interview that's cut out because there's a dog barking in the background. It's it's really loud, and it's just a bunch of steps and scuffling because they're walking around. Is you hear the officer walk in, and the dad's in there, and he's like, no, his room's messy. You guys should talk outside. And then he opens a door and goes into the room. Uh, And so it sounds like he's in the bedroom. And side note, I've seen the inside of Corey's bedroom because I I watched the video, one of his home videos. It's a small little room with nothing but, you know, four walls, a closet, and a bed. Sounds like the officer's in the room, and then he leaves. And and now in this interview, I don't know if, if Corey said he's in there, he's in my bedroom. He does. He he's In this interview, he says that. He's in my bedroom. He says, when did you talk to Javier? He says, he's, I just talked to him. He's in the house. And he goes, where was he? He goes, he's in my room. Right. Okay, so that's what I thought. So I think... I think the the reason it was written into a report that he was in the bedroom was probably – or that he was in the closet is because it was an assumption on the officer's part because the officer was standing in that tiny room oh. and didn't see Javier. And he said Javier was in that room. The only place to be would be in the closet. But I want to make I want to make clear because I said he was in the closet. It seemed like that that could be an assumption on someone's part. He was somewhere in the house. But again, Corey says he was in the bedroom, and Corey kind of shooed him out of the bedroom and said, let's go outside. The other thing I want to point out, some people were like, where's the big bombshell? Now, granted, there was a ton. This whole interview had my hackles up. Um, but one of the reasons before the interview that I was I was like, oh, this, this is a, you know, it's a big thing. It's a game changer, and I really think it was in a, to an extent. But in my memory, Javier had said that all of his friends, including Corey, were at work. And that's why he went up the mountain. So I had that in my mind. And then when I read Corey say, I was down, I was down in my house waiting on Javier the whole time. It was like, it's another lie. But that was not the case. I went back and reviewed Javier's interview. And he says, all my friends were working. But then later he talks about he hooked up with Corey. And he says, and he asks, does Corey work? And he goes, oh, no, Corey doesn't work. So that part was accurate. Um, so I was, I never said that to you guys. But I just wanted to let you know, that's where my head was at. Oh, okay. Last week until I that re-read makes sense. It. Yeah. What were your thoughts, Janet? Oh, uh, I, I, I really wanted to give this kid the benefit of the doubt of just being a forgetful person, but 
Um, this was the first time when that particular detective's uh, attitude felt justified to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the first time because he's so brusque with everyone. I mean, everyone. Like, I went back and listened to a bunch of interviews and he's very brusque with, like, even, you know, John and Vicky's employer or whoever. And that may not be who he was talking to, but he there are definitely interviews where someone's like, well, could be. Da-da, and it's one of the adults. And he's like, why? Like, it's just very uh, brusque and abrasive. And mm-hmm. this is the first time that my frustration, whether it's him blowing off the situation or him being uncomfortable or him genuinely not remembering or trying to cover for Javi, whatever the reason is, I found this to be a very frustrating interview to listen to. And um, there were definitely times when the cop said, you know, when he was like, this is serious shit, that I was right. like, thank you. Which, again... Yeah. There's any number of reasons that he could have been behaving that way, but it was a tough listen. It was a tough listen. And I, I, I realized I was clenching and unclenching my fists and my jaw as I was listening to it. I was like, <laughs> all right, really? like, calm down. You sent me a text to that effect <sighs> as you were watching it. Yeah, um, it, was, it was rough. Yeah, well, it was and, very and difficult. You, and you hear him laughing a couple times. At one point, the cops, like, what are you smiling for? And if he's uncomfortable, a lot of people are uncomfortable and get flippant when they're, you know, but I, it's not my thing. I was a, you know, even though I like had issues with authority as a teen, I feel like I was, I was like respectful in a situation that called for like something serious that happened. I, I don't happen to be the person who giggles when I'm uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? Right, so I'm yeah. trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but that, it was just very, it was a tough, it was tough. A lot of people yawn. Just fun, fun fact. If you're talking right. to somebody and they yawn, that's a <laughs> indicator they're, they're really uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I'm about yeah, to I yawn because you said the word yawn, and that's how suggestible I am. So no one, no one assume I'm lying or uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so uh, to add a little context, uh, I and, and, and sometimes I'm trying real hard not to spoil like what's coming this week because again, I'm I've already recorded uh, the next two. Uh, I think I said this the pre-show before we came on, but I've already recorded our next two episodes. So I'm trying to keep things in my brain only on what we've covered so far right now. Um, but I do want to add some some context. So I, I have the video, the home video that uh, the police went back in and got that, that Corey was talking about. Um, and one that I didn't – there was nothing on there where they were filming someone having sex. So I don't know if that didn't happen. But also it cuts off and then it jumps to some other home video. So I think it might have been taped over. Um, but the, but the, the, the video of the party is just a lot of it's, – it's idiot teenagers being idiot teenagers. Like at one point they're – I don't even know who some of the guys are. Um, I think I don't. I think Alex was one of them. You know, all these guys were up there. I didn't. I wasn't able to decipher who was who. Uh, but like at one point, they're 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 filming one of the guys punching the other guy in the arm to see like how tough he is because he can take a punch to the arm. And they're like climbing up banisters. This is like the guest house at at um, Nick Coraline's house, like. There, there's there's one girl there that I saw. I thought they said her name was Sarah, but it's a different name that I see in the reports. But I thought I heard mm-hmm. them say her name was Sarah. But there's just a lot of that going on. But as far as Corey goes, when it cuts to the home videos, he's playing uh, – Zach, you said it was, it was it was Bam was the guy's name. Yeah, Bam Margera. That, yeah, that back in the day, probably around this time, maybe around 2006, there were the videos yeah, where definitely he was always around like pick, this time, yeah. picking on his dad. Well, Corey – the videos are like him doing that. Like his dad's like folding laundry and he's like insulting his, his dad and calling him names. And then he goes out and is talking to his mom about what an idiot his dad is. 
Um, his dad, by the way, I don't think it came out in this interview, but his dad's also, I believe, a cop. All these kids have law enforcement parents or people in their families. So anyway, the long and short of when I watched the home video, the kid seems like a real piece of work. Like, like his general attitude is he seems to have a problem with authority, seems to be kind of an asshole, you know, at least, at, you know, at that stage in his life. So some of that, I guess some of that, so it gives you a little baseline for the interview. Like he wasn't just being kind of a, seemed like kind of a jerk during the interview. He just kind of is from what I saw from the home videos and stuff. But that's just a little bit of context of you guys that I saw the video. Um, and I know a lot of people were asking about the video. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of stuff happening in the chat that is all extremely valuable and it's so hard to um, keep up with. A lot of it is also represented in the pre-prepared listener questions that we have, but okay. I'll try to scroll through and get back to um, to some of these because there's just a lot of really, really good stuff that you guys are commenting on in here. Um, so I want to acknowledge that, yet also say that I can't start scrolling back now because... Well, right. I'll never get to these questions, and I think some of them are represented here, but I'll try okay. to. Well, let's go through the, the ones we already have from Facebook, and then we'll we'll cycle into the chat then afterwards. Okay. So I'm going to start with some kind of actual more kind of big picture stuff and then zero in more on the Corey stuff because there are some things that are being asked that aren't as necessarily pertaining to this uh, interview, but I know you wanted to include them. So I'm just going to start with Chris's who says, do you think there's a way to truly determine who the target of this crime is? So many theories floating around. I do. I, th I think that one thing that I find really valuable in what we're doing right now and in, in examining this friend group and and chasing all these leads is you guys are all hearing what the jury was never allowed to hear. So like this, this which, which I think is valuable. I, th I think, you know, the, the defense was handcuffed by not allowed to present anything that had anything to do with any alternate suspects. But even if our, even if our, even if what we do here is end up clearing them and we're finding more and more and more details. I just posted on, on Facebook today because as I mentioned, again, I I've already recorded the next two episodes, but as I was like redacting an interview, I came across Jacob Santiago's, uh, home phone number. He says it in his interview. So I was able to go back into the the phone records that we have, the phone log, which I'll repost this weekend for this episode because I've added several numbers to it, um, several names to it. Um, but we find out that there were four calls from Jacob and Austin Alba's landline to Jacob's cell phone on Sunday. All four calls came between about 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock at night. Um, I don't know that it doesn't look like I have our cell phone expert looking at it now, so I'll touch back on it again next week, but it doesn't look like they went to voicemail because they show like a, a second forwarded call routed call when they go to voicemail, um, like he was calling to check his voicemail. Some listeners on Facebook suggested, well, he could have been calling to find his phone because there's like three of them are like boom, 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 all within a minute of each other, which is possible. But then. He says in his interview that he knew from the morning that his phone was off and dead. So why would he be calling his phone looking for his phone? I don't know. Or it could be Austin was calling him on his cell from the home line, which would be a big conflict because he says that he's home all day that day. Uh, and we're going to hear from Austin this weekend, uh, his interview. So th that'll get we get a little more information there too. The point being is we're getting more information. Now, it may turn out he's checking his cell phone. It's like, oh, and if that if that's the case, like if the if the cell phone expert says, oh, that's clearly him checking his voicemail, then that would say, okay, well, that tells us at least at 7 o'clock he was still at home. 
And so as I think as far as the question, can we ever determine who the target is? Yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think that we could solve this case. New witnesses are coming up. Uh, people attached to the case are, are, are hearing this and are reaching out and are, and are adding information, things that aren't in the police file, things that aren't – the jury didn't get to hear. And I truly believe that we're going to find – I keep using the analogy probably too much, but the way I feel about it is this, we're just pulling the string and let's see what's on the other end of it. And we may find these guys are cleared. We may find information that they're actually involved. Uh, and that'll answer that question for us. Yeah. Um, but Lauren says, in the last Friday follow-up, you mentioned that knowing about the burned bodies isn't something the killer would know since they left the scene. Couldn't the unsub burn the house down and then also go up to the house again after the fact to see what they had done, similar to a killer inserting himself into the investigation? Yeah, absolutely. What I, what I was saying is the information that Robert gave in that interview that people looked at as like guilty knowledge, that the bodies were burned beyond recognition, they couldn't tell what sex they were. The body was burned up in a wheelbarrow. Those things aren't things that a person who had been there that was like a person that committed the crime would have known. They wouldn't have known what the police would have found later. They wouldn't have known how long it took to put the fire out and stuff like that. Now, if they went back to the scene, then, yeah, they would have that information. But the point is it's not leaking information that only the killer would have. It's leaking information that anyone that was there after the fact would have. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Megan says, how many people in this friend group live in Pinion Pines or are familiar with that area? I think we've heard at least three people mentioned who live there. Did the investigators make a point of clarifying who has familiarity with this area? It seems like this is not an ideal location for a planned murder unless someone had been to that house before. Well, I think it's a great location for murder because it's so remote. I, I see the point, though, that you know you have to know where you're going. Most of this friend group is familiar with it. When we hear all these, and you're going to hear from Bo Nash this weekend, you're going to hear from more people, Nick Corline. So obviously Nick Corline lived up there. Alan Gerber lived up there. Uh, Bo, Nick Crum. So there are – some people are confused. Yes, there are two Nicks. Uh, Bo, Nick Crum. Uh, who else? Alex, Fulan. Uh, those are all guys that have hung out up at, at, at Nick's house, and they say they've gone out to campfires, and they've hung out up there. So pretty much the whole friend group is familiar with the Pinion Pines neighborhood from being up at Nick's and going out and having campfires and camping and stuff like that. So they seem to be all familiar with it, other than Jacob says he's never been up there before. And we know, I don't know if Austin's been up there, but but Jacob says he's never been up there before. But the but the the close the Javier because it's kind of you mentioned it earlier, Janet, when we were off the air. It's kind of two groups here. You've got Javier's group of friends 
and then Jacob, and then there's some crossover because of the connection between Javier and Jacob. Uh, but Javier's group, they definitely all seem to know the area. Okay. And uh, I just want to shout out, Amy, I remember seeing this quite a ways ago in the in the YouTube chat when we were talking about no one talking to Ellen Gerber. Amy said, isn't that the person that really didn't like Becky and that Becky didn't like? Um, sort of calling attention to the fact that that's, a, that's an interesting person not to speak to because this has happened and they're potentially considering Becky as a target, talking to somebody who, you know, they can't even be in the same room together. Um, seems like an interesting omission. So I wanted to acknowledge that. It's a huge frustrating miss because you have, not that I think Alan Gerber necessarily had anything to do with this, but yeah, Corey says that Alex was at that, or uh, excuse me, Alan was at that party and Becky didn't go because he was there. And then we have the fact that Alan is the one supposedly who was calling, I got to piece this together, Javier or calling, calling Corey and telling them, about the fire up in Pinion. So there's 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 several reasons to talk to Alan, and it doesn't appear they ever did. Looks like they talked to his brother at some point, but they never mm. talked to him. Well, mm. and according to Corey, it seems like Alan must have been close to Becky at some point in her life because he talks about that that they were close during this super dark time and that she was full of a lot of drama and that she asked Alan or Claire to shoot her at some point. I mean, obviously, this is all secondhand story, but... Her and right. Alan must have been close at some point. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I got that too. And and yeah. that was you just he just wonder with Corey how much is him telling the truth and how much is him full of shit because you know because that, because that's obviously was really interesting to hear that he was she was supposedly asking didn't he say that she also asked Javier to shoot him shoot her at one point? I don't. Uh, I only caught Alan, Alan and Claire that she's like I yeah, have the gun I, I have think, the bullets. Yeah, I don't think Javier. Okay. Said anything. Yeah, whoever was, but yeah, it was just interesting that that came up. But it's like I don't know if it's true, right? Um, you know whether, and also it, it is not to put any any shade on Becky either. But we have multiple sources saying that she didn't always always give the most accurate version of events, right? Um, so it could be that that's a story she told that wasn't true, or it could be Corey's not telling, it, or it could be totally true. I don't know, right? Um, but also it could be said in a very melodramatic, but like you guys know, I'm not serious kind of way too. So right. there's so many different possibilities. Um, just to uh, wade in a little bit more with Corey and people's different kind of perceptions of his memory or lack thereof. Leah says, I had a hard time listening simply because I didn't believe anything it was saying. Didn't believe his memory lapses from one week earlier. Uh, and Brittany, I'm just going to follow up because this is very similar. With all of the memory lapses this dude seems to have, can we verify that he doesn't smoke or has Anyone else mentioned him getting high? I'm trying to really think of an actual reason why he can't seem to remember literally anything. Otherwise, this entire interview looks incredibly fishy to me. It seemed my take on it, and it's just my feeling on it. So, again, the context of this is Javier gets interviewed, and they go from that to Corey to verify Same day. Javier's story. Same day, a couple hours later. And they Javier has already gone there. Seems like he's high, trying to hide from the police. Doesn't want the police to know that he's there. And I think that the reason Corey can't because he, he says, "Oh, that's his Dodge Intrepid right there." I think that the reason Corey kind of came clean with the idea, fact that Javier was there was because he thought, "Oh shit, they see his car." So yeah, he well, he even says, "I, I he must have arrived there so." So recently that he said, I thought you might have seen him like get out of the car and come into my house. Yeah. 
Um, but but it just seems to me like like the the that Javier maybe told him. Which, by the way, this doesn't indicate guilt to me. This is this is not, a lot of people will always say, well, so and so, you know, these two people talk to each other to get their story straight. Doesn't always indicate guilt. It could, you know, if this is a high stress situation and somebody's remembering this is what happened, and then they're like, oh shit, they're going to talk to them and go say, you know, I just want to verify you remember that this, this, and this happened, right? You know, it, it's it doesn't necessarily have to mean suspicion. But I think that Javier True. probably went there, and this is just my gut feeling. It doesn't mean this is accurate. Um, the Javier probably went there and was like, "Hey, when the police talk to you, remember that this, this, and this happened." And and then probably in the middle of that conversation, the police show up there, and and I think that's a lot of the reason why. That's just the feeling I get is that Corey's does his memory lapses, things not making sense, things not being in order, is because he's not drawing on memory. He's trying to draw on what he's supposed to say and he's getting confused. Right. Um, And uh, yeah, I know that there's um, some discussion about possibly him having attention deficit um, and it being truly like a genuine thing. I know um, uh, I've seen some comments uh, here. I, I I think it was maybe Christine or someone was saying, you know, he didn't like, and we'll get to this in just a second, a, a, the similar idea of like, why do we expect people to remember something that t- for them is very mundane? So we'll get to that as well. Or, you know, just not taking it seriously. Yeah, Chris was or Christine was yeah. saying um, that and she I'll, I'll, she f- kind of fell on the side of like, why is he so frustrated? Like this day didn't mean anything to uh, to Corey. Um, yeah. And I'll, and I'll point out to Pam, uh, Pamela in the chat mentions, too, that if he drinks a lot, then, yeah, it'll certainly mess with your memory. The thing for me that 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 threw up some red flags. Well, and I think there's a question about this, but um, coming up, but um, when they go back in the house and Corey's mom says, Oh yeah, you went back up there Sunday to help clean up and you didn't get home until late Sunday night. Corey immediately goes, no, that was a different weekend. So it was like, for, and, and maybe he's right, but it was like, Oh, all of a sudden his memory problems are gone. And he's and he's super confident about when something happened, and he's going to correct her about it. After we just listened to thirty five minutes of him not remembering, you know, when he put his shoes on. Right, right. Um, so Jessica says, "I have to be honest. This interview didn't totally blow my mind. It just sounded like a wasteoid kid trying to make sure his story matched his friend, so his friend wouldn't get in trouble." I think he was BSing some of it because he's trying to make sure he said the exactly uh, the same thing that Javi had said. And by the way, there's also some chat um, happening in YouTube right now where people are saying, you know, that cockiness um, seems familiar to people who know kids who uh, have law enforcement in their family or as parents. Yeah, it's possible. So, uh, okay, so we've that that's Jessica's point of view. Uh, Ray says uh, we seem to be making a lot of assumptions about people not remembering things. But isn't this the premise of a non case? It wasn't a significant day to people not involved. So why would you put certain things in your memory bank if you weren't doing anything of significance? They were 18 to 20 doing a lot of partying and hanging out and work, hanging out in between work and school. Probably a lot of doing the same things over and over with different people driving or giving rides on different days. I was an athlete in college, so I was on a pretty tight schedule. But if you aren't, I imagine you aren't remembering every single detail of every day. Just a thought. Maybe I'm wrong. No, it's a it's a good thought, but also there's some there's some significant differences here with Hayes' case in the Anand Syed case. You know, her body she was missing for 28 days, and then her body's found, and then a month later they're trying to get people to recall what you did on on that particular day. Um, 
Whereas this one, everybody found out right away she was dead. Javier talked to the police right away. I mean, within hours of that, he's at the station talking to police. Everybody's being questioned, you know, right away. So I would expect some memory issues, sure. Uh, and and again, I I I, gen- I genuinely think that Corey probably was confused. I just tend to think he's probably confused because he's trying to recreate something he was told to recreate, hmm. which gets very confusing. It's hard to and, and by the way, that story could be true. He could be he could have. You know, people mentioned ADHD, it could be from the alcohol, it could be from whatever, maybe he just doesn't have a good memory. And everything Javier told him to say could be true. But still, when you're not drawing from actual memories, but instead you're trying to draw from something you were told to say, it's easy to mess mm. all that stuff up. Um, yeah. But there, there, is a, there is a subtle difference in here in the fact and how quickly this investigation was kicking off compared to – you know, the not say Ed case were a month, six weeks later, I think, is when he finally came in to do an interview. And they're like, well, what did you do every second of the day six weeks ago? That's very different than what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and also at a different time frame in, in history in terms of like cell phones were like seriously right. brand new. So there wasn't even like a flip phone the same way that it, there was at this at this point. But uh, Jason says, could I actually hear Corey's facial expression trying to get his mom on board with his sparkling and amazing memory recall that the Saturday she remembered was a different Saturday at the end of the interview? Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like that was what I was. I wasn't so much bothered by the memory problems, like I said, but what got me was. You know, you, you, we've got a pretty good baseline, right? This is what this guy's memory is like. He doesn't remember, but it, it, I, I don't know that I could that I could hear his facial expression. <laughs> but uh, I get what you're saying, and and I definitely like it. Definitely snapped my attention as like because he was very confident and forceful in his response to that in the time in the correction of the time, and that was a that was a very significant difference from what we had just heard in the interview. So it, it's it certainly got my attention, and and what it seemed like was he knew what she just said, and again she could be wrong, but it seemed like he knew what she said was a big fucking problem because she said right. no, you went back up to Pinion Pines on Sunday and didn't get home until late Sunday night, and then he was like no 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 that's not what happened right away right um so definitely got my attention right. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Nicole says, OK, at twenty nine nineteen, when the cop is asking him about being at Nick's on Sunday, cop, you weren't there at all Sunday. Corey, that night, cop or day, Corey, the night of Becky's thing. I'm not sure if I'm reading too much into it, but the way he answered that raised a flag for me. At this point, he knows she's been murdered, correct? The way he calls Becky's murder Becky's thing seems off. And the way he skirts around any mention of what he did on Sunday really stuck out to me and his laughter whenever he answers something about Sunday. I definitely caught on. So these are classic, like behavioral analysis things, right? And 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 they're overused, I think. Sometimes um, you definitely need to have a a, a good baseline. Um, but by the textbook, and I have these textbooks out here, uh, out in my office. Like by the textbook, yeah, he was. He seemed to be distancing himself, removing himself from that. He never says. The murder. He never, you know, and, and he, a lot of his discomfort he shows is around Sunday night. So those were, but it's kind of like the stuff that um, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott were talking about, where that's one of the areas 
you know, they didn't say that, that you know, because some people were confused and were like, oh, they said that like profiling is useless. That's not what they were saying. They were saying that using behavioral analysis to tell if someone's lying is usually not that accurate. So I don't put a lot of weight into it, but it's definitely something that I noted exactly what you said, that there was whenever he's talking about Sunday and where he was at Sunday night. Yeah, he gets uncomfortable. He starts getting giggly and laughy. There's, you know, and, and most things you're looking for when you're looking for as far as like body language for someone lying are not indicators of lying. They're indicators of discomfort. Uh, right. So, so, you know, like men tend to, you know, put their hands on their face. Women tend to rub their chest. These are things that are from the limbic system in your brain. Oh my God, like these I all- totally do it. I like touch my neck. I mean, yep. it's all I recognize that so much. Yeah. Becky does um, too. She, uh, she, we'll just be sitting in the car and she'll be. Looking at her phone, doing this, rubbing her yeah. chest. And I'd be like, what's yeah. going on? It's and like every- a self-soothing thing, I think, for me. Like, yeah. there is, like, it's an it's so limbic that I think it's like, I'm actually, you know, you're actually sort of like, I'm okay, I'm here. Like, yeah. there, it's, it's very I, I interesting. It but it's but very when I've read that and watched it, it's, it seems to be pretty accurate. But anyway, my point is, yes, he gave telltale indicators that he's uncomfortable talking about what happened on Sunday night. Yeah. Does that mean so, he was lying about it? Not necessarily. What do you think about his thoughts or details of the crime? When he kind of goes through and says, "Oh, she they were there, they were shot, she ran out into mm-hmm. the field." We definitely have some back, listener you know, questions about that as well. Yeah. How well, how she he says that I think she was shot or beat up. The problem with that is I don't like it. I'll tell you that much right now. I don't like it at all. The very detailed response. And we talked about last week how when the police officer tried to uh, give a scenario to Jacob and he's like, so this is going on. Becky gets home and Jacob says, no, no, she was already there. And he cut her off. Mm-hmm. That was a like ding, 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 ding. But every, so much in this case, and we'll see more as we go along. I've read so many interviews for people that. Don't even seem to be connected to this friend group. And they'll be like, yeah, Robert was going on a hike and this happened and this happened. They're like, oh, how'd you hear about that? Did Becky tell you? And there was, and everyone's about everything is always like, oh, no, Javier told me. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like the Jesse Miss Kelly confessed seven times, you know, or, or whatever it is. It's like, no, he confessed once. And that's just a continuation and an attempted retelling of the same confession. Um some people disagree with, but that's, but, but that's just how false confessions work. The same thing here. It's like if Javier came up with this theory, either from guilty knowledge, someone told him, or just because his dad's the DA investigator and that's what they're theorizing. And they told him he shared this with everyone else. Cause you notice everybody says that, that that's what Javier said happened. Yeah. You know, all of it comes back to Javier. So I don't know that it's the, the tricky if his parents, if his dad wasn't in law enforcement, I would be all over that, like white on rice and a glass right. of milk and a paper plate in a snowstorm. Uh-huh. But, be, but be to quote Damon Waynes, uh, but but because his dad is one of the investigators on this case, it just makes it tricky. It makes it tricky because, you know, I I, I don't know. He could have just all that information could have come from his dad, Janet. When I said that. These things are all indicators of someone being uncomfortable, but that's not necessarily the case. You looked like you had a confused look on your face. Did you have something to say about that? 
Or were you not just at listening all. to Zach? I, okay. <laughs> I, I, or, or I just may have been looking at the chat and trying to be like, remember this from before. Don't forget. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. The, the thing about Corey's interview for me, again, just going back to kind of his responses was it, it, that is an example of someone who either has a, a, a terrible memory or again, it's, there's so many different reasons that it could be happening, but it was, it was infuriating how good he was at being evasive. Like it was, right. it was what you would teach someone to do if you wanted to make sure they didn't get anything stuck to them. Like I, if, if this happened, I probably would have gone to that. If I was there, then I might have possibly driven like everything is like, you've said nothing. Like you've said right. nothing. And even when he's like, you know, and 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 uh, and are you telling me the truth? And he says, I don't see why I would lie to you guys. It just is like, yeah. why don't you just say yes? <laughs> like, right. Why are you saying I don't see why I would lie to you guys? Like, you're not saying that you're not lying. Why don't you just say right. I'm being honest? So, again, sure whatever the reason the is. Yes, it's just so it's like perfectly crafted, even though I think that's incidental. It's crafted as if you were writing a script for someone to show that they knew exactly how to avoid giving a straight answer about literally really every question that's being asked so hats off to him accidental or on purpose to me it just it, i was just like wow you've done it again <laughs> like the very it's... next thing you've said is also like well i don't if that was that night then probably i would have said that if i had talked to that person which is you know maybe i did <laughs> like what yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's also it's a amazing. good way to get somebody to smack you right across the face because that's kind of what I wanted to do while I was listening. <laughs> it to was it. rough. Yeah, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was difficult. Um, okay, uh, Lynn says Corey uh, chooses Peter Pan as his MySpace ma- uh, name. It's a telling detail of how he views himself, but I'm more disturbed about the videotape he had. Um, yeah, you you mentioned the videotape earlier. Yeah. Uh, I think I included that question because I wanted to make sure I remembered to tell people that I'd seen the videotape. Yeah. I don't know what she means by he views himself as Peter Pan. Yeah. Peter Pan was what the kid that didn't want to grow up. Yeah. I don't read too much into that, but. um, Yeah. uh, uh, Janaya says, so what do we, so do we think Javi and Corey lied about their alibi during the time of the murder? As confirmed by Nick Crum himself. That's right. We're finally bringing up Nick Crum. I've been, I know everyone in the chat is like, when? Are you going to bring up Nick Crum? Please bring up <laughs> yeah. that Nick Crum seems to have appeared on the Facebook page. Um, yes, acknowledging that. I just try to group all the questions together. Uh, but yes, uh, as confirmed by Nick Crum, who said he was with Bo, also backed up by phone calls to Nick Crum during that time. Why call him if you're with him? So we're going to dig into Nick Crum a little bit more along with more stuff about Javi. Uh, but what, what would you like to say about that? Yeah. So what was I, I didn't quite catch what their question was. Do we think that Javi and Corey lied about their alibi during the time oh. of the murder? Something doesn't add up. I don't I don't know if they lied about their alibi, but when we look at the phone records, I think what they're saying there in their post is they say that they were, you know, he went back, hooked up with Corey. Um, so Javier says he lives in the mountain, goes down with Corey. Corey confirms that, seems to confirm that, but then he says then they went and hung out with Nick Crum. But if you look at the phone records, Nick and Javier are calling each other back and forth for the, the rest of the evening. I, I past ten o'clock. I want to in my mind. I'm thinking. I'm thinking ten fifty three. There was still a call from them, but maybe it was before that. I know for sure there was a missed call from Nick Crum at nine thirty at night. 
but it doesn't yeah so it, it's like if they were hanging out all night why is why are they calling each other back and forth but i also i also think i don't remember if they said what time they got off of work but but yeah there there's definitely some issues there and um yeah and and nick did appear on the facebook page and and was was making some comments and and answering some questions about that okay night. so can i ask you the question that everybody's been dying to know have you talked to nick crumb Janet has been so studiously trying to wait for the end of the episode to ask that question. <laughs> yes, I have talked to Nick Crum. I am in the day you guys are hearing this episode. I am interviewing Nick Crum. We've chatted a little bit. So actually, I, I had I had a phone number for Nick Crum. I've been trying to get a hold of him for months, and I thought he was just ignoring my texts. And as it turns out, the phone number I had was wrong. So once he got on the Facebook page, we connected, and yeah, we will be. We will be hearing from Nick Crum very soon. Okay. Well, well, I, we'll have a little bit more about him. I think there might be a couple more specific questions coming up. But sorry, um, Janet. Uh, the, no, no, no. That's that's totally fine. Uh, Bob and Funk Zed and uh, in the Rena. I see you you in the chat asking about that parking pass. Rest assured, Sass also asked it, and we've got it right here for you. Can you tell us more about the parking pass? Where was it for? Why did they share it? And we're speaking of the parking pass that apparently Javi was going to be dropping off uh, to Becky, and perhaps they shared it for the community college. I didn't get the impression that they shared it. It was for the community college. The impression I got was that she left her parking pass in Javier's car. But I but but I want to talk about this for a few minutes. This is something that is a I don't know if it's a I, nobody's talking about it but it's driving me fucking bananas that nobody seems to think that this is a big deal. That Javier intentionally led the police to believe in his interview. Not just led him to believe, told them that his drive up the mountain was just because he said all of his friends were at work, his cousin Jacob was at work, so we just went for a drive, and that's perfectly normal. It's something he does all the time. In the episode where we discuss this, we then find out later in the interview, he's like, oh, yeah, well, while I was already up there, Becky was like, hey, you want to stop by? And he's like, well, are you sure? Because Robert's coming. And she's like, yeah, come on over. And then was like, no, never mind, don't come. And Janet, we had a discussion about, you know, I said that I think the other guy could have been Javier because of that. You disagreed. Um, I don't think I disagree anymore, by the way, after re-listening to Robert's interview. Yes. I was <laughs> I was I was going to ask you if anything's changed because now what we hear in Jacob's interview, he says Javier was going up there to see Becky. The yes. purpose for him going up there was to see Becky. Yes. And then it, she told him not to come at the last minute. Right. And now we hear Corey's interview, and he says the reason he was going up there was to see Becky, to take her the, this parking pass, and then she told him not to come. And so what I was going to ask you is, now that it seems that the plan all along was for him to go up there, and then supposedly Becky then canceled on him, do you think it's possible that the other guy that she mentions is going to be there was Javier? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I said it, but you wanted me to say it again after you said all of those things. Yeah. And yes, yes, I will say it again. Uh, <laughs> I do agree with you. I think that makes total sense. Um, and I and I think 
that seems like a big oops moment for Corey in that case, because if Javier just told the police something different, um, it's very inconvenient that Corey just said all of that um, right right when he was there at the house and he had carefully made sure not to say that he was definitely supposed to be up there. Yeah. And I'll give you a little bit of a, of, of a, of a prelude, not, not so much a spoiler, but he's not the last person we hear from that says Javier went up there to see Becky the entire, because also he went up there supposedly because all his friends were working, but Corey wasn't working. He was, well, I didn't want to hang out with Corey. He did say that in his interview. Well, I didn't want to hang out with Corey, Yeah, but whose house does he go to when he gets back? Corey's house. And then he also says, and my cousin Jacob was working. Well, we also know Jacob wasn't working either. Jacob doesn't work Sundays. He was home Sunday. So there's, so there's, so I don't, I don't know why or what it means, but the fact, and I'll preface this by saying this, Javier makes calls around seven o'clock in the Valley. Mm -hmm. He makes a call. Like like his phone connects, makes a call, I want to say at 929 mm-hmm. in the valley. Because there's a missed mm-hmm. call in there too, which kind of means he could have been not with his phone. But he he's on the phone, connects, uh-huh. makes a call at 930. So because I think it's possible, I'm leaning towards it's possible that the murders happened earlier and then somebody went back to cover up the crime scene. That's, I think that's mm, a possibility. Oh. But Javier seems to be seems to have been in the valley for both of them. So I want to make that clear. I'm not saying – that I think Javier went up there and murdered her because I, I I don't see any way around the cell phone. I, I see some ways around it, but not real, real good ways around around the cell phone evidence. But he's intentionally deceiving people, the police, about why he was up there, his intentions for going up there. And yes. that's a big, big problem for me. Yeah. And, and while we're on the topic of that, I told you about I made a post on Facebook about the kind of the good, the bad and the ugly about where we're at right now. Uh, I, I have some similar issues with um, Jacob. I mentioned last week that Jacob says, wait, I'm trying to remember if this is for next week. It might be next week's episode. Uh-oh. But I'll tell you this. <laughs> Jacob wasn't in Costa Mesa. We already know from the cell phone records, but he for damn sure wasn't in Costa Mesa Thursday or Friday. And I don't know what that means. But that is he, – he intentionally multiple times – doubles down on that and triples down on that, that he was there from Thursday on. I don't know why, but these guys, these guys are, so there's memory issues. And then there's these, these instances where this group is intentionally misleading law enforcement. They're intentionally lying about stuff and it has to be for a reason. That's what he's exact. When you said like, you're starting to think Becky might've been the target. I'm sure I, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm there, but I'm, all I can say is what You're I keep saying. Is very like open-minded to the possibility. Something now. stinks. Something's yeah. not yeah. right with this group. I've tried to be open-minded the whole time, but I just at this point right now I'm I gotta lean Becky. I wasn't that way at the beginning, but right now I have to lean Becky. Yeah. I still have no idea because I went back and listened to everything, and now mm. I'm I'm still like so bugged about some of the other stuff that has nothing that's sort of doesn't have to do with Becky, but I, I, um, heard, you, I, I heard you say when I was mentioning, when I asked you that if you think maybe that was Javier again, and I just realized you did, said, I re listened to Robert's interview 
And now I think that. Why did you? What, what was it about re-listening to Robert's interview? It, well, I don't want to say that it was only Robert's interview. I just want to say that what because of the rollout of these other guys saying that that Jacob said he was supposed to be because I said that before I knew Jacob said that he was supposed to be up there, and I said it before Corey said he was supposed to be up there. Yeah. So even from listening to Robert's interview alone, just the idea of 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 her wanting to have potentially have anyone who's male there. Um, mm-hmm. to sort of either, you know, explain why uh, he doesn't need to be worried about it or his girlfriend doesn't need to be worried about it or to show that there is somebody who cares very much for her that she can kind of flirt with a little bit and, and mm-hmm. do that in front of him. It just seemed more plausible and that it wouldn't matter whether or not he already knew Javi, that it was just potentially more about, yeah, having having someone there um, who was like with her because, you know, Robert's coming with his his friend who maybe is kind of milk toast about yes I'm using that expression about Becky yeah. and so having her guy like having Javi you know her guy that she knows cares about her mm-hmm. and is looking out for her um with her uh for any number of reasons would make sense and then perhaps something happened where she changed her mind but yes Bob again I will say yes I do think that you were right I That's want you I to hear me yeah. for this third time yes I yep. am saying it so again that, right. that you were yeah probably right uh i also want to shout out bob in the chat who um kind of puts a nice fine point on why would javier um need to drive all the way up to pinion pines when uh like a couple hours later he could swing by the denny's that's a couple miles from his house and give her the parking pass yeah which is another either did Corey make that because it seems nonsense right so it's either that's why javier told him his reason for going up there was or that he was just using that as an excuse to go up there, oh yeah. Or you know, Corey's full of shit. Um, but either yeah, way, but Jacob he, says he, the he, same thing. I believe Jacob yeah, says I don't think the, he said the about the parking pass. Well. Did he? Did he? Somebody else says something about a parking pass. I believe. You oh really? Be, I thought he right just there. said they, they were. Sp- he was supposed to be with her that night. He feels responsible because yeah. he was supposed to be with her. That night. I I feel like I remember Jacob saying something about having to take the that Javier said he had to take the parking pass up to her. So maybe it wasn't Jacob, but I feel like it was for some reason. Yeah, could be. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Derek also mentioned the, you addressed it, but this idea of does Javi's cell phone record protect him enough to mean that he absolutely should be taken out of consideration for the crimes and now 
we're talking about this possibility of the crimes happening, and I know Bob supports this in the chat as well, uh, Bob Schneider, that that they could have happened at different times anyway, that the, that the murders and the fire could potentially have happened uh, at different times. I think in a hypothetical world where someone in this friend group, Jacob, let's not forget Austin Alba, uh, Nick Corline, who drives the red truck, who lives – where the you know the incident with the red truck and the fire truck happened between the crime scene and Nick's house um, that was leaving. You know, there's but if someone in this group was was responsible for this, I think Javi's could have involvement. I would say, let's say, and I'm just making this shit up. Let's say we find out Nick Coraline and I don't know, pick a name, Bo Nash, whoever, two of the friends went up there and did this. If I were to find that out. Then what I would think from all this is that Javi's involvement is that he knew that and was covering for them. It just seems to me that he's that I I don't think Javi was there. I don't think there's any world where Javi was there with a gun in his hand and was part of killing them. I don't. I think just that that yeah. The and what's the world in which he's not involved enough that he's he doesn't have to cover his own ass, but with his feelings for Becky, whoever he's covering for, is still important enough to him that he doesn't want to see justice done for this girl that he loved. Um, that is a big problem. Well, yeah, it is on its face. I'm not saying that that's, that I'm not arguing with yeah. you. I'm just saying like, yeah. wow, if you really care about this person, it's a big deal that you're like, mm, why don't I go ahead and point the finger at someone else? I don't care whether the person who slaughtered the girl I love is going to find justice or not. Like, yikes. Right. The and and definitely on its face, that's the case. And I, I hesitate to say this because I because I want people to be like, well, Bob thinks it's not what I think, but this is this is how people who think I'm biased or my mind made up. I'm so far from that. This is what really goes on in my brain, always running through a million scenarios. And so, like in that scenario you just brought up, the first thing I thought of was, well, okay, in this world, right, where two of his friends were involved in this, and he knows, why would he be covering for them? Well. Everybody, I think most people agree after listening to his interview, certainly Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott, he's hiding something. I said over the thing that bothered me most about his interview is that besides that there was the big lie and omission there, but is that he's pushing so hard. It's I've said over and over again, he was making a huge point. It was very important for him that the police officers, the detectives knew how much he loved Becky, that overselling over and over and over again. It was very, and I don't know, and I've said, and I still don't know what that means. But in the scenario we just laid out there, like why would he do that? If if in this, again, crazy hypothetical world, it was, some of these, it was someone in the friend group that did it, I would think there's something more to this story. He had feelings for her that he hasn't shared. Something in the conversation about her not going that night, he didn't like. And, and he's in this whole thing of everybody thinking he just loves her so much is based on what we heard him telling the police. But it, I think it, there is a world where that was just very intentional because he, I don't even want, again, hypothetical, hypothetical, hypothetical. I'm just saying in this circumstance that really he was, he was pissed and, did want her dead because of something she said, something she did, whatever. Right. And so that's why it was so important to him that the police know how much and deeply he loved her, how she wakes up in his bed and he loves her so much. And, 
He knows everything about her. I could see that overselling being because he was he was a part of this, at least in the fact that he knew what happened. I understand what you're saying. And I would say another way to sort of protect this, the to create the safety bubble of speculation without accusing and pointing fingers and having everyone think that you think that we can always return to. You could see how someone investigating this case could have also drawn that conclusion as easily as Mar- uh, Robert and Christian and using this as sure. a way of pointing out, look, look at all of these other directions this could have gone right. and in comparison with what we will find out is the state's case against them. So it's always good to go as an investigator. I, at the time, could have pontificated on this and come to this conclusion. But for whatever reason, this wasn't explored, nor was it ever told to the jury. So it's worth talking about, even in that hypothetical situation. I also really want to acknowledge there we got a couple of folks uh, that I care for very much in this chat who are going a little crazy, wanting to know what what when the autopsy took place and when the findings were sort of there versus the interviews that are happening when people are saying they know they were shot, they know that she must have run away, they, you know, how people have the knowledge that they have. And and I think that's right. That's what I'm supposed to be asking. Right, everybody? <laughs> yeah. Right. I All of so. you who are going crazy. I totally get it. I want to so make sure to cover asking, that. Did the police know that they were shot at that point? And I, and I think I know, but I'm going to have to circle back to that next week because I need to verify that because I think. I think the autopsy was done like the next day, like at least where they took the x-rays and found the bullets, uh, you know, the, the shotgun uh, BBs in the, in the, in the slug in Vicky. I think they knew, I think investigators knew that before these interviews, I'm not a hundred percent positive on that. So don't quote me on that. I'll have to go. And if you go back to the autopsy episode, the autopsies are posted in the case documents with the, um, with the dates. Okay. Lucy, I know uh, we answered this about where did the closet thing come from. Um, so shout out to you. I know that was part of your question. Uh, you also brought up, um, and Kristen, you also brought this up as well, uh, Becky's dad being abusive uh, comes back into frame here through the interview with Corey. Becky's dad being abusive, uh, Lucy says, is a big red flag like WTF. That combined with the upcoming settlement is so much more of a motive. And Kristen says, did you hear Corey say Becky had a hard time in the past with her dad? I guess he was abusive real bad. I heard bits and pieces from Javi. To me, this is huge. In my opinion, if a child was abused and is now 18 and talking about it, the abuser could be worried. Yeah, that's something to um, I definitely noted it and have a pin in it. Um, and we'll and we'll get to. um looking at Ron later uh, because that's all I know right now is what Corey said, Becky said. And I think we all know that Corey's not the most reliable witness. So we just kind of got a pin. I just want you to acknowledge that. Yeah, I've got it. We've heard it and have a pin in it. Okay. Um, and we'll come back to it. Okay, great. Um, Teresa mentioned that, you know, Corey talked about hanging out with Becky and that they were drinking together. Um, other friends said Becky wasn't a drinker, uh, that she was a pot smoker. Any thoughts on that? Oh, they're all full of shit about the, the half of them are being open and honest about smoking pot. Half of them are lying about it. They all you hear from hobby like they're all smoking pot together. And they're like, oh, I don't know. I think maybe she smokes pots. Um, maybe she tried it. I don't know. She's not. That's just classic team. Like. Teenagers right. not wanting to tell a cop 
about somebody, you know, underage drinking or doing drugs. So I, I don't know. I get the impression. Jacob seemed to be pretty well. I mean, even Jacob, Jacob kind of downplayed the the pot and said, I don't drink that much or we didn't drink that much or she wasn't much of a drinker. I don't know. I'm sure she probably drank and right. smoked pot just like every teenager. Yeah. I love when Corey, like, tried to kind of bro out with a cop, like, I like vodka. Uh, it's pretty fun, right? Right, buddy? <laughs> right, guy? I don't know. I don't know how much drinking you do, but uh, vodka's fun, right, guy? Was right up there with <laughs> Weird Jacob moment. going, this pizza's cold, man. <laughs> yeah. um, shout out to Rebecca and Amanda. You both had uh, some great comments about that, again, that detailed description of the crime, um, understanding the you know, where could this have come from? Um, was that odd? We've, we've touched on that already, but I just wanted to give you a shout out for your great questions. Uh, Pamela says, were any of the parents interviewed? They may not have known much about all the different relationships, but potentially they'd have better memories of the comings and goings of their kids. At the very least, you'd think the investigators would want to see if they could clear up some timelines. You'd think. They mm-hmm. would. <laughs> I mean, especially after this officer sat in the car with Corey Donovan, I guarantee you wanting to bang his head off the steering wheel for that whole time because he can't get anything out of it. And then walks in the house and the mom's like, oh, I remember exactly what happened. This happened and this happened. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. Yeah. That was one day I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like what? Talk to her. But no, they don't talk to any of that. I mean, I think they, they, they eventually interview like Robert's mom, but I think it's like a year later. Like they don't interview any of the parents that these kids live with. They just interview the teenagers, and it's one of the another one of the very frust, especially in this case, because she's just like trying to give them like, no, no, I remember, and he's literally as she's talking, he's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Like, I don't want to be involved in this argument with these with this kid and his mom. Maybe it's um, uncomfortable to talk to so many parents who are in law enforcement. So, to jump back for a second, I apologize. I, I looked up the autopsies. It looks like they were on September nineteenth, which would be the day after, I believe. Yeah, so uh, Jacob's interview was the 20th, and uh, Javier's was the 25th. So yeah, so the, the police did have, they did know that there were, that at least John and Vicky were shot on the 19th before these interviews. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kelly uh, was, again, looking for some clarification. We've tried to kind of talk about a little bit with the two different Nicks, um, trying to figure out, were both Nicks at that Friday party? Were they both at the hangout going away party? Uh, Kelly knows both parties were at the Nick Coraline house, so clearly he was there. Was Nick Crumb there? Which Nick was the one supposedly driving around smoking with Javi, Corey, and Bo late Sunday night? Uh, And then you know, just is kind of bringing up again this idea of Corey being up at Nick Coraline's and staying there, being late back on Sunday, just wanting to make sure she's got the right Nicks in mind, I think. Yeah. So, so Nick Coraline is the one that has the place up at Pinion Pines. Nick Crum, I believe, was at the party on – he was. Uh, he was at the party on that Friday night before the murders. Um and it was Nick Crum who Javier said he was driving around smoking pot with on the night of the murders uh, on on that Sunday night, not Nick Coraline. Um, and there's a lot of – so like because I watched the video of that party, one thing I noticed was the, the deal is it's supposed to be like Javier and Bo Nash. And Javier is definitely there because he's in the video and and just as he said was super drunk. Um and he says at 1.30 in the morning, Becky came and picked him and Bo Nash up and went to her house. When I watched the video, 
I don't see Bo in it anywhere. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, he could have come later, might have just not been on the video, but Bo's hard to miss. Bo has like a bright red fro, like a, like a, like a afro and it's red. So he's hard to miss, but I didn't see him in that, in that video. I assume he was there. Um, because I don't know why he would lie about that and him, and him going up to, to Becky's house. But Nick Crum for sure was. All right, I know we got one question left. Um, but Janet, you you have like re-listened to almost the entire whole season again. And you told me that you have a list of nagging things. Um, and I, and, and we were going to ham on whether we should talk about this. But I, I think that it's a good spot to kind of catch up where we think things are at right now. So where are you at? What are your what are your nags? My nags, my nags are I, I'm I'm distressed. And I you know more about this because you're kind of secretive about where you saw this information in the case file. But I'm distressed about this supposed affair with a husband of a coworker. I don't like that. I don't know where you saw that. But that's a big that would be a big deal if it was recent. And so I don't know if we're ever going to hear anything about that. But that came up for me and I was like, God, yeah, we never heard any more about that. Yeah, it was just there are reasons for it, but I can tell you that mul- that, that multiple Denny's employees verified that that happened shortly. Be- they didn't say exactly when. It could have been a month before or something. I don't know, but sometime briefly before the murders. It doesn't seem like there's any question that that didn't happen. Um uh, I, I don't I don't know exactly when, but it was But the actual person. There was never like a follow up, which all of this would have happened seven years later. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was even longer than that when the when the discussion when they finally talked to the Denny's employees. But so they would have had to begin their their investigation of a potential person who was enraged that Becky had been cheating or that that person had been cheating with Becky, they would have had to start from scratch, just barely finding out who that person was. And you would get nowhere because you would have zero access to any information at all about what that person was doing. <laughs> Sounds right. good. I, th- I think they may have actually talked to that person. Okay. If I all remember right. correctly. Okay. Well, I hope we'll hear more about that because that sticks out to me as disturbing. Uh, also, the gang members thing. I know we kind of brushed it off. I know it seems unlikely, but I'm dying to know who was calling Becky over the summer. They make that sound like it was such a long time ago. I know they only pulled very specific phone records. It's irritating to me that supposedly several sources said she was upset. Someone wouldn't stop calling her. They got the impression that it was someone that she felt threatened by in some way. uh, And they didn't pull any phone records to find out who potentially could have been calling around that time. Um, It was only a couple months before that. Like, it's a September. When they say the summer, that's not like a year ago. Um, So that frustrates me because that seems like it's worth knowing more about. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't investigated very much. I mean, we've kind of heard the end of it. But I mean, we're also getting little – we've talked a little bit about Becky's money already. You know, she only worked just at Denny's just two days a week. And we heard, you know, it was from Javier that she was paying all these bills and paying bills for her parents. And then um, – and again, I don't want to overstep where we're at right now. But I, wasn't it in Corey's interview? Didn't he say something about that she had a lot of money? Like something like he had, he had kind of slipped in there. There's – I don't remember. There's 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 some little and I don't maybe it's stuff I've already heard so we'll see where we're at but but there there's nothing concrete but there's we're starting to get little breadcrumbs drizzled in from the people that that knew her that she may have been and you go back to like Javi's Javi's interview I was reading his transcript when the when they when the officer asked him 
about um about it whether she was like dealing and he was he says something I, I, I don't want to risk but it, it was something along the lines of yeah I mean I don't think she was you know she wasn't dealing she was buying I don't know if she was selling something like he said one right. of those it was like I don't know but but he but he said I don't know if she was either selling or dealing or something like that mm-hmm. and then we're starting to, and I'm starting to read reports and more and more where she seemed to have more money than she should have so I, I I don't think it's something that should be for ignored whether it's gang related or whatever but it seems like she may have been in that in that that scene somewhere somehow um, and hopefully we'll get some more answers on that as we move forward but but yeah I still have the pin in that. Uh, Robert mentions a couple of things that have lingered with me. Number one, he says that he heard something about Becky having her nose broken. I didn't know if maybe that was the accident that she may have gotten in. But and I don't know if that was true, but having her nose broken, that's like not an insignificant thing. Um, He also mentions that, you know, someone in her family or one of her friends said was telling people that Robert used to beat her, um, which I mean, just I'm being fair across the board. Like yeah. I don't I don't know about either of those things. One of them uh, is extremely disturbing to imagine someone just like throwing that out there in life before this happens to Becky because this obviously would have happened in the past to be like, oh yeah, Robert beats his girlfriend. Like I'm I would like to know what that's all about. Um, Which interview? I was I was half reading chat when you. Started it's Robert's interview. In Robert's interview, he's like, I heard oh, he that says, she got yeah. in a fight with someone. She had, and then yeah, when he's like, Did you ever hit her? Because I can understand how that would how that would happen. You know, ladies be crazy, and oh, right, you know, right, he's right. like, Oh no, we would just wrestle. But I think so and so said. Told, was telling people that I beat her, which is ridiculous. We're just like, whoa, what happened that she would want to tell, spread that rumor about you? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to go back and listen to what he says about the broken. Because I wonder if he's talking about the Austin Alba incident. Could it have been the way it was context? Could it have been the night before no, the murder? No, no, no. It was something about he heard someone. He heard that she had broken her nose, or he heard that someone was at Denny's and she had a bandage on her nose because her nose had been broken, which made it sound like it was a couple weeks before or a month ago. Oh, okay. I'm, I, I'm not sure. Um, where was Becky moving? I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know. We don't have we don't have that answer. We we're gonna hear some interviews from her sisters later, but there's not a. Oh, oh. Speaking of which. Um, I added a bunch of case files. I finally got the interview transcripts redacted. So if you've been waiting for those, they're up on the website. Interesting. Jacob Santiago's interview. So when I was watching the video that I ripped the audio from to play his interview, um, he gets up and leaves the room. Him and the detective, they get up and leave the room. They take a break. Um, mm-hmm. So I just skipped past that and went back. Well, in the transcript, the transcriber caught Drew, uh, Becky's sister, was in the hallway and there's a whole conversation that Jacob has with Drew that's in the transcript. So oh, wow. Like out in, they were like out in the hallway. It seems like they were out in the hallway talking. Um, oh, wow. There's nothing groundbreaking there, but it's interesting. It's yeah. new information. It's worth it's worth reading. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I, I still, it's just, I wish I knew why John never had any money and, and would go paycheck to paycheck and, and need advances and stuff. Um, that still really bothers me. Uh, I wanted to reiterate how helpful and intelligent um, John's ex-wife seemed. And she just seemed so grounded in where she was coming from with stuff. That doesn't mean that she was and that she wasn't way off. But um, just the way she talked about, again, talked about, you know, what she had been told about Ron and like being afraid to even say 
what she was told. Like, she wouldn't say it. You know what I mean? She was like, I know you guys are tight. I would never want it to get back that, you know, and it could have gone both ways. But the things that Vicky told me, boy, I doesn't sound, you know, and so and then we I'm bringing this back up because we hear about this, um, the the mention of of her father potentially being abusive in these recent interviews. Um, I, I, you know, that's that she was I wish that you could talk to her in present day. And I wish her memory were as solid as it was then, because I feel like you would have way more questions and would get even further along. I hate that Becky's journal seems to be just like, I don't know what what you know, I don't want to breed a, a lovely you know, person's journal, but I wish that we knew what what happened with that and what information was in it. Um, I wish we knew if Nick Coraline's truck was the red truck. I just really don't know what that is, and it bothers me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the dogs at the crime scene? Were they indoor dogs? Did someone free them? Didn't you say that they were fine? Um, yeah, they didn't were. I hear that? I mean, they were like, where they, where think- were they? Because, like, I, I would not let my dogs be out in that desert. Coyotes love attacking dogs. So I would not be like, oh, our dogs just run around out in the wilderness all the time. Like, and there are mountain lions in California that, like, come into our backyard. So that just, to, to me, it was like, where, how do the dogs, like, where do the dogs fit into this? Anyway. Yeah. So, they, I mean, remember, the garage door and the door to the house were open when Nick Summerlee got so there. They just so they could have been inside dogs and ran out. out. But- yeah. Yeah. So they were, but they were, they ended up at the neighbor's house. Yeah. Um. But obviously, if they were dogs and they were protective and they were in the house, how you know was that not an issue with the people who came in? Um. Just curious about that. And uh, who and who is Josh Ernie? <laughs> just because he made these yeah. like weird early morning calls, there, and we've never talked about him since. There's an interview with him that I'll that I'm going okay. to um I'll play at some point. Hasn't right. been. I mean, I've heard it. It's it's pretty. I'll use your term, milk toast. Or there's nothing really there. He was just like supposedly a friend who would talk to her that day. Okay. But, but we're definitely going to cover that. We, you know, we'll, okay. we'll we'll make sure everybody hears everything. So that just leaves us with one final question after putting up with my nagging list. Thanks, everybody, for putting up with that. Maybe it helped uh, scratch some itches that some of you have had from re-listens. Uh, but Kristen wants to know, was Bo ever interviewed? Yeah. As a matter of fact, Bo was interviewed. And uh, he was interviewed a few times. But that is... One of the interviews that you're going to hear this Sunday. So come make this Sunday is kind of going to be a hybrid episode. Finally, where you're going to hear four different interviews that are pretty short, with me kind of narrating and explaining things in in between of them. Bo Nash is one of them. Uh, Jacob Santiago is one of them. Uh, you know, someone in the chat last week had pointed out that, like, oh well, he omitted the that he that they had broken up. But read, look at here in this transcript where he just says, oh, I didn't I, – I thought it was because we were still getting along. Uh, well, there was another interview between those two interviews. Uh, and so we're going to hear that on Sunday. And I'll talk about the other one. Um, we're going to hear from Nick Corline. We're going to hear from Austin Alba. And we're going to hear from Bo Nash all this Sunday. So make sure you check it out. Can't wait. Good night, guys. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. 
Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269 224 2833. However, you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been and justice. Ahoy, everybody. I've got to put serious face on. Here we go. All right, everybody, real quick, smash the like button while you're in here. That helps the channel out. Smash the like button, everybody. Can someone come help me? Smash it. I need what? I need an adult. Janet will get to hear it. My premature ejaculation. What did you just say? <laughs> That's what I said. Oh, it got weird. <clears throat> All right. Can I tell you a secret that I have on top of my list? What? She's a nice lady. That's my number one talking point. Well, I because I was excited. And that just leaves us with one final question. Would you like to hear what it is, Pop? I, I sure would. How do you say goodnight in ahoy? <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I'm in.